Good morning and welcome to the First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin. We are a spiritual community dedicated to the free search for truth and for meaning. We're very glad you're here. We come from a long heritage of teaching that there's a spark of the divine in every person. It is in the spirit of that heritage that I say, let us greet the holy in our midst by turning to the person to your right and left and welcoming them here this morning. Will you please say with me the words by which we light the chalice, which is the symbol of our faith. In the light of truth and the warmth of love, we gather to seek, to find, and to share. Our call to worship this morning is Philippians 4. Whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honorable, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue, and if there be any praise, think think of these things. Every week in this room, we have people whose roots and practices are in every major world religion, including neo-paganism and staunch atheism. How do we hang together? What is at the center? In this congregation, one of the things at its very center is our mission. We wrote it on the wall, and we say it every Sunday. We gather in community to nourish souls, transform lives, and do justice. Our lay leader, Bill Phillips, is going to read something that was written by Roland Gittleson, the first Jewish chaplain for the U.S. Marines. We remember them. In the rising of the sun and in its going down, we remember them. In the blowing of the wind and in the chill of winter, we remember them. In the opening of buds and in the rebirth of spring, we remember them. In the blueness of the sky and in the warmth of summer, we remember them. In the rustling of leaves and in the beauty of autumn, we remember them. In the beginning of the year and when it ends, we remember them. When we are weary and in need of strength, we remember them. When we are lost and sick at heart, we remember them. When we have joys we yearn to share, we remember them. So long as we live, they too shall live. For they are now a part of us as we remember them. Now is the time in our service when we breathe together deeply. When we sink our attention down into that place where we are most who we are a place where we can speak to God as we understand God or listen to our inner wisdom or just follow our breath as it comes in and out of our bodies. 
The wisdom of every world religion says that it is in this still place where we can find clarity, healing, grounding, wisdom, compassion. Let us enter into the wise silence together, understanding that in this congregation, the noises of life and small child noises count as part of the silence. Today is the last of our What's the Difference sermons for this church year. We're talking about the difference between lamentation and venting. In the Hebrew scriptures, there's a book of lamentations. It's in the book of right, the section where it's just called Ketuvim, the writings. The book consists of five separate poems. In the first one, the city sits like a widow, shorn of her finery in misery, weeping, overcome. The context of the lamentation is the destruction of of the city by the Babylonians in 586 BCE. The Jews were taken, this is the exile, they were taken to Babylon, and... um, They mourned there. The second poem wonders whether it was the sins of the nation that caused this disaster. The third one has hope that is in this chastisement, um, there will be some good that comes out of it for the people. And the next chapters go back to wondering about the sins of the nation, and maybe this was too much punishment for their sins. It's possible that this was some over-punishment situation. And they're distressed that God had seemed to have deserted them. And um, after this exile, many Jews stayed in Babylon, but others who'd been yearning, you know, the the song that was set to music, by the waters of Babylon, we lay down and wept for Zion. We remember thee, Zion. That comes from the Babylonian exile. It's not just a reggae song. Each chapter is a poem, and the first ones are acrostic poems. That means that each line starts with the next letter of the alphabet. And so they have groups of 22 lines because there are 22 um, letters in the Hebrew alphabet. And these lamentations are a cry from the heart. They're a cry from the spirit of the people. The first word of the book of Lamentations is how. How did this happen? How have we come to this? What What is the problem here? And it's a community-rooted kind of lamentation. It's about us, and it's about our relationship to the universe. There's theology in it. Like, here's how we think things are supposed to work. What's supposed to take care of us? Is is God taking care of us? Is our good behavior taking care of us? Do we take care of each other? What lessons might there be in this? What could we have done differently? That's a lamentation, and it's It's rooted in your relationship to the universe or to wisdom or to God. Well, venting is just letting off steam, right? 
Most of us have been taught that venting is a good thing. It's a way to lance the blister of our anger and let some of it out. And we were all taught that if you don't express your anger, it turns inward. I was trained as a therapist in the 80s, which is like 100 years ago, and they taught us that anger must be expressed and that it's a good thing. It releases pressure and that you're supposed to, you know, whack on your mattress with a tennis racket or you're supposed to punch a punching bag and and let it out. Turns out that, like scientifically, that's not true. Neuroscientists are studying venting and aggression. And what they're finding is that whether you vent with words or with physical punching something, it can make most people more angry, more aggressive. In a way, it feeds the anger. College students at Ohio State University were set up for an experiment. And you know, college students in an experiment, they're always lied to. I was a psych major. They told us, you just have to, because, you know, you have to. So anyway, these college students were brought into a room, um, uh, one room for each of them, and they were told that you have to write an essay, right? Just write an essay about something. And so they got busy and wrote, 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 wrote. And they were told that other students were going to grade their essays. So when they were finished... The experimenter came in and said, I'm going to take this and take it to the student who's grading your essay. Well, pretty soon they all got their essays back with a big red F on them and the comment, this is the worst essay I have ever read. How do you think they felt? They were mad. And so they were told, we'll be back in just a a few minutes. And... um, There's a third part to the experiment. And here, to a group of them, they said, here are some big pillows. Just punch these pillows if you feel angry. And so they punched the pillows, and and really, they punched like this. I'm saying, they need a class. But, (laughs) so they punched the pillows. And the other group just was left to sit with their thoughts. So they just, you know, twirled their hair or did their nails or sat like that, wishing they had video games. And um, then the experimenter came back with little styrofoam cups about like this and hot sauce. And they said, so the person who graded your essay is going to have to drink some hot sauce. Um, How much do you want to give them? Because they'll have to drink whatever you give them. This is the new way of measuring aggression. (laughs) And the students who just sat with their thoughts, twiddling their hair and breathing in and out, they gave about this much hot sauce on average. The students who had punched the pillows filled the cups up with hot sauce. This study has been replicated several times. And... The neuroscientists are trying to figure out what it, you know, how this happens or what it means. Um, they're finding that the need to vent your anger is one of those what Malcolm Gladwell called sticky stories. 
It's a story that just keeps persisting no matter how much evidence there is to the contrary. We love the idea that venting is good for us, (laughs) and uh, we hold on to it no matter what. But they're finding that complaining is actually bad for you. It's not just useless, it's really physically bad for you and bad for the people around you too. So neuroscience, and if you're interested in this, we have a class on science and religion. You can just look in the back of your bulletin and find out when it meets. But neuroscience um, says that synapses that fire together, wire together. And so if you have a thought, your synapses in that pattern just go, and then if you have that thought again, They fire some more, and then pretty soon they're wired in this pattern in your brain. In other words, the thought creates a track in your brain. And most of you all know you have friends who just can at any moment drop the needle into the groove of how terrible their ex was or how terrible their parents were or how terrible it was to whatever. And they almost use the same words every time, and you just don't even have to be there, really. It doesn't matter who's there. They're not really talking to you. They're just, they've, the needle has dropped in that groove. That's an ancient reference for those of you who were born after <laughs> vinyl. So once you have a particular thought, it becomes easier to have that same thought again. That's what they're saying. And once you have the same thoughts over and over and over and over and over and over again, it's just uh, wired into you, and your brain tends toward those thoughts. You've got tracks in your brain, and your thoughts just run through them like little rats or hamsters. (laughs) And if those thoughts are negative and complainy, Pretty soon you become that kind of person that nobody likes to hang out around. The neuroscientists even, and I would never say this myself, but the neuroscientists say that complaining is like farting in an elevator. (laughs) That it just poisons the atmosphere for everybody around you. And when you complain, it releases stress chemicals, cortisol, into your bloodstream. It's bad for your weight. It's bad for your blood pressure. It's bad for your blood sugar. So what should you do instead? I think the ancient practice of lamenting differs from venting in that it's more about a situation the community is in, but it can be about an individual. But it's rooted in a theological understanding of the way things should be. What's the world supposed to be like? It's rooted in learning. What is my part in what's happening is a big part of it. What responsibility falls on me in this situation? 
And you're calling out in lamentation. You're not just like, it matters who you're calling to. You're calling out to wisdom or to the spirit of life or to the universe. And your heart is in a lament the way it's not in a vent. You know what I'm saying? It's deeply rooted from the depths. The vents are just from this deep. And they're not even from the whole depth. They're just from that one track in your brain. It goes around and around. You're not helping yourself. And you're poisoning yourself and you're poisoning everybody else around you. And your attention is turned not to what you have done, but to what somebody else has done, which we all know that you're the only one you can really have an effect on. So the first word of the book of Lamentations is, how, which is central to the dynamic of lamentation. How did this terrible situation happen? What did I do? What was supposed to happen? What did I think would happen? And so as a person who has been venting for the past several months about the situation in our election cycle, I have decided to lament instead. (laughs) And I've written a biblical-style lament. So I'd like for you to help me by calling out the letters of the alphabet. A. All the people on both sides seem to have lost their civility. Both Democrats are saying things which seem to me to be unwise. Civil discourse seems to be becoming a lost skill. Donald Trump. (laughs) Education is so important to democracy. Frustration and anger make better news than civil discourse. Great again? I think he means make America white again. History is a great teacher. I must admit, I used to be riveted by the horrible things said and done. Jefferson and Adams had a campaign even nastier than this one. Knowledge of history gives us perspective. Laughing at it is not working for me any longer. (laughs) My heart is seized with sorrow for my country. Nausea grips me as I watch the news. Oh, how did we get into this fix? Please tell me everything is going to be all right. Quivering with dread, we listen for the next awful thing he'll say. Remind me that nothing terrible has happened yet. Sweet dreams of a just society fuel our actions. Teaching civics in the schools would help people understand how things work. Understanding others is what we should work on before trying to be understood by others. Variations in views are a quality of every free society. We're all in this together. Xenophobia is a human failing we must work against. Yelling is a sign that no communication is happening. Zero is the number of ideas I have of how to fix this.
So maybe next time you, and only you, not your partner, not your friend, not your spouse, this doesn't work if you go, man, you should have heard what she said. Complaining's really bad. This is only for you. Can I raise your right hand and say, I will only use this knowledge for myself. Thank you. So maybe next time you want to vent or complain, hold it, deepen it, and write a lament in biblical style. You can do it. You might learn something, and rather than just going round and round in well-worn circles, you might grant your pain some forward motion. Will you say with me the words by which we extinguish our chalice? We extinguish this flame, but not the light of truth, the warmth of community, or the fire of commitment. These we hold in our hearts until we are together again. The lone wild bird in lofty flight is still with thee, nor leaves thy sight. And I am thine, I rest in thee. Great Spirit, come and rest in me. Go in peace. This is a production of the First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin. For more information, go to our website at www.austinuu.com dot o r g